hell, Jordan? The ring chose you. Take it. Speak the oath. Speak the oath. Everybody knows the oath. I pledge allegiance to a lantern that I got from a dying purple alien. So, this is the chosen human. The ring turns thought into reality. Its limits are only what you can imagine. The sword. Oh, human. Remember, your enemy is not gonna play fair. Is that what I think it is? An alien life form, Doctor. The first that mankind has ever encountered. Son, we're gonna get you well again. I've never felt better in my life. They said they wouldn't have chosen me. If they didn't see something, I don't see it. I see it. You had the ability to overcome fear. Stay here. No problem. If you die, innocent lives will be lost. Your world will be annihilated. Help me save my planet. Fight it. Fight it with me. Brightest day. Blackest night. No evil shall escape my sight. Those who worship evil's might, beware my power. Green Lantern's light! Ciao, my people, and welcome to our 114th episode of Happiness and Darkness, the superhero movie podcast, where we discuss superhero movies from Marvel, DC, Dark Horse, Image, and more. If it came from a comic and had theatrical release, you know we'll discuss it. Naturally, there will be spoilers, folks, so you have been warned. I'm one of your co-hosts, DJ Nick, and today we'll be discussing Green Lantern. And we meet today to discuss one of the most criticized and hated superhero films in history, is a very brave man indeed, and who probably deserves his own Green Lantern ring. Welcoming back to the podcast, Mr. Ian Takas. Hey, Ian, welcome back, and uh, how, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Awesome. It's great to actually be back. <laughs> well, we're very, very happy to have you back, Ian. You know, it's been way too long. You know, last time when you were here, you were, you know, it was yourself and your dad talking Iron Man 3, and we had a great time doing that. So, uh, yeah, I'm glad we finally got this opportunity to get you back. And, of course, today we're discussing a very different movie compared to Iron Man 3, which is, of course, Green Lantern from 2011, which was directed by Martin Campbell, who has directed such films as The Mask of Zorro and two Bond movies, GoldenEye and Casino Royale. The story was by Greg Belanti, Michael Green and Mark Guggenheim, and these three gentlemen wrote the screenplay alongside Michael Goldenberg. And, and the original score was by James Newton Howard. And to put it in today's money, this film cost $245 million to make and made roughly $269 million at the box office. So as bad as it is, it actually made its money back, folks. So starting actually here with first impressions here, Ian. First off, are you a fan of the Green Lantern comics? And uh, yeah, what are your general thoughts on this film? I'm not really that big of a fan of Green Lantern, but it's always good to watch it and always good to read the comics. And, uh, and did you actually get to see this in the theater? Fortunately, no. <laughs> so I'm assuming you're not a particular fan of this film. Not really, but I am a fan of Ryan Reynolds. 
Aha. Okay. That. Okay. Now. Now I get you. So. So yeah. Exactly. You know, going into this film and you know watching it for the first time and such. Yeah. What did What did you make of this? It's very CGI heavy. It just everything CGI right there. CGI over here. Mm. And the story itself, I mean, were you happy with, um, you know, aside from Ryan Reynolds, which we, of course we'll be discussing at quite a bit of length here, um, did, were you convinced by the story? Did you like, you know, the villains? I mean, yeah, what did, what did you make of that? I did actually like the story, but it's just odd the way it ends. With the superhero always getting the girl, I, I want to see a, something else. <laughs> you make an excellent point i mean you know I, i'm actually i was and i am a big fan of the green lantern comics and i was at the time i was so excited when this film was announced and re-watching it it does not surprise me that greg Belanti was involved in the writing process as this film very much has a cw quality to it when you think of current cw shows i mean um ian are you one of those folks who watches like the who watch the arrow show or for the flash or supergirl or anything like that well i'm currently watching the uh star girl which mm -hmm. is a great series mm -hmm. highly recommend it i love the flash that that was a good show i never really watched arrow but i might you know what, I suggest you do. Granted, it has its ups and downs, but uh, all in all, I mean, if you enjoyed, you know, the that kind of, should we say, style, then I think you, you'll probably enjoy Green uh, Arrow as well. But yeah, it did show, because this in part did remind me a little bit of like a CW show, because with, of course, a better budget and better, better special effects, with the possible exception of a certain villain in this film, who we will get to, but you know, Aside from that, I think there are some fun and entertaining moments to this film. And I think it really had the potential to do really well. Had there been more character development, less plot holes, and the fact that points were possibly, you know, you could have spent more time on certain situations instead of being very, very action heavy, like you said. Because I think there are some good actors here, but the problem is I find that... Uh, yeah, it's like, oh, we want to make this as action-heavy as possible and sacrifice the characters. I mean, what? Do you, how do you feel about that? I mean, does that, that, do you get that kind of impression? Yeah, it's it sacrifices them at the expense of getting the views. It doesn't let them live and tell their story. Yeah, I, I very much agree. I think that's that's one of the big problems of this. So speaking of characters, let's get to our characters on the board, starting with our protagonist himself, Ryan Reynolds, as Hal Jordan. So when it came to our hero, Ian, what did you make of Hal and what he gets to do in this film? I think Hal is just trying to be as much as his late father. He's He went into the Air Force, became a pilot just like him, would even die like him. He even keeps a picture of him in his plane, which crashed. <laughs> and that's about it. <laughs> and when he actually gets to become Green Lantern, I mean, were you sold by that moment? I mean, did you uh, did you buy that he became Green Lantern? I mean, we don't really know why he was chosen by the ring until very much later on 
but he does do a good job as Green Lantern and uh, Tamara Morrison as Abin. Uh, he gave him the ring as his dying wish. Kind of impressive. It is. I mean, I do think the casting choice was a good one for this character. I think Ryan does very much embody that kind of hot-headed, rebellious, kind of back-talking character that was Hal Jordan for quite a big part, also in the comics as well. I mean, he's very much a jock, and I think he lives constantly with his head in the clouds, both literally and figuratively. Though I think, like you were saying, you were pointing out, he is very much haunted somewhat by the trauma of witnessing his father's death, which seems to be the one thing holding him back at reaching his full potential. But here is the thing. We do discover that behind this arrogant and maybe rather devil-may-care character, I think there's very much a great fear and insecurity at his core. Even though it could have been addressed better, it is addressed here and there, it's very much forgotten. And I honestly wonder whether he actually is, is superhero material, because one, he's not particularly good boyfriend material, at least not at the moment, and even Carol points out he seems to be the type to start a million things, but then just walks away when things get either too complicated or too difficult, just like their relationship, which is apparently implied. Yet, besides bringing all this to Hal's attention, by movie's end, he hasn't really changed much. And like you were rightly pointing out, he gets the girl at the end, and you wonder whether these two should actually be together, how long this will actually last. And he does seem in part to be taking on his responsibility as Green Lantern. But other than that, it doesn't seem like he's learned much, which I found so frustrating. As, you know, by movie's end, he's become part of the core. But I don't really feel like we got a full character journey. What do you think? A good superhero new movie needs character development. Green Lantern didn't really have that much. It was really lacking in that section. Yeah, because, I mean, as I said, by the end of the film, it's like, okay, you'll become the superhero, but, you know, what are the good qualities of this guy? He's very likable. I'll give him that. But other than that, there were just things I'm like, he hasn't, you know, undergone the journey. Like, you know, like you, you, were, you, were, you were referencing then. I think that's one of the big problems of this film is I find it really hard to get behind this guy. I really do. So <laughs> let's look at the two more significant relationships in Howe's life. On one side, we have Blake Lively as Carol Ferris, and on the other, Mr. Taika Waititi himself as Thomas Kalmaku. So when it came to these two characters, what did you make of, of should we say, the love interest and, you know, Hal's apparently best friend? Let's start with the love interest. Mm. <coughs> Sorry. Uh, he, every hero needs a girlfriend. This one didn't really have a girlfriend. It had an ex, and it didn't really have that much of her. It needed, she needed more lines, more showtime, and we needed more to, we needed to know more about her past and who she was before Hal. 
I agree. I agree. I mean, yeah, because because as like you said, because yeah, we already when we find out about her is you know yeah her and her and how broken up at some point or it's implied they had a relationship and when it when it it came to his apparently as I said best friend who's a guy who maybe might not get that much screen time either. What did you make of Thomas? Oh, I loved him. <laughs> the heroes who have the technical sidekick, the one who is witty and also smart. Those are my favorite types, like Iron Man with Jarvis. Even though he's not real, he still has that best friend. I I definitely think so. Um, so I mean, cause yeah, I I mean, I guess it's not. Here's the the problem with this film, and I think something that I've noticed with a lot of movies sometimes. You know the earlier superhero movies, even though this is 2011. But I did not, I, I didn't actually have problems when uh, looking at Carol Ferris with Blake's performance. I mean, I think she did the best with what she was given. But the character is so inconsistent because you know, first you get the idea of like the strong woman who's ready to take over her father's company and won't take lip from anybody, and even when Hal then whisks her off for this romantic getaway. Granted, it could be seen as a bit of a mood killer, but I, I actually appreciated that she pointed out Hal's faults and that he was blessed with so much and never really seemed appreciative of anything. And he, and the fact that you know that he literally walks away when things get tough, which is clearly she's um, um, talking about their relationship. But by movie's end, all that seems forgotten. And of course, the couple share a kiss and they're back together. So basically, the speech she gave him before meant nothing. And I'm guessing she's happy to go back to him. I mean, how did you, you know, see that that relationship? You know, the fact that, as I said, like, because you, you mentioned the fact that the hero gets the girl at the end. But yeah, did it work for you? I mean, did it make sense to you that uh, Carol and Hal should have been together by the end of the film? Not at all. In the beginning, we see her basically acting like a CEO. Mm -hmm. She's talking smack about him being late, telling her, telling him that she started getting up at eleven. And after that, it's almost nothing. It's very true. It's very true. I mean, granted, I guess he did save her life multiple times. And seemingly overcame his fear by defeating Parallax. But yeah, Carol, I mean, really, it just seemed a very, very quick decision. That problem aside that I had with this character, the, what I will say is nice about all the, the, the positive side of this character. She's clearly the kindest and the sweetest in a group of very horrible people, even with and even when it comes to Hector Hammond. I mean, she doesn't even though she doesn't feel the same way about him that he feels about her. She doesn't seem to, she's one of the few people who doesn't seem to either regard him as a freak or as a loser or as weird. Granted, I don't think we ever actually get to see Hector read her mind, but I guess she has that going for her, that she's kind of nice to everybody. Um, and, and I'm right there with you when it comes to Thomas, because I'm a huge fan of Taika Waititi's. And, you know, ha Thomas also in the comics is one of Hal's oldest friends. And I guess they did show that he is a highly intelligent engineer, like you were saying, the techie guy. And I very much enjoyed Tyker's performance, but I guess they made him and Hal more of like a bro relationship to where Thomas is geeking out when he finds out Hal is Green Lantern and they're aliens and all that stuff. But then after that, 
he seems to almost disappear, which I thought was very odd because by the end of the film, it's like, where did Thomas go? <laughs> you know, it just seemed like he totally disappeared. <laughs> did you get that impression or, or, or you didn't sort of, it, it didn't sort of cross your mind? It didn't really cross my mind because I wasn't really paying attention much to him. But now that you bring it up, I can't really think of a time that he was in it after that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we, we have that moment, obviously, where, yeah, he's like, oh, it's so cool that you're a superhero and everything else. But and then he, get, he, he gives you that famous line of doesn't a superhero usually get the girl? And then it, it cuts to how, I guess, many hours later going to see Carol. And, and I get this version of Thomas may have served maybe either as comic relief and also maybe as us, the audience, in the sense that uh, being a part of this crazy world of magic ring or you know, scientific rings and aliens and everything else. But like, I, I just don't, there's no justification for his disappearance because if they're best friends, you'd think he'd be there to celebrate and everything else. And, but no, I mean, we, we, we get Hal and Carol having their moments, and that's pretty much it. Also, here's something else that I, I don't know if I missed this or if I watched a different version of this film, but did we actually ever get to see when Hector kidnapped Carol? Or did that, that, that just happen? It just happened. <laughs> there was no transition from one point to another. Yeah. I, I mean, I was so thrown off by that, weren't you? Yeah. How exactly did he get her in the warehouse? Yeah, I mean, the writers were like totally asleep at the wheel here, but and I think we'll definitely get to Hector here shortly. But first, speak. you mentioned the, the CGI and stuff, so I guess the, this is a good point to t- take on two of the main lanterns highlighted in this film, where we have... Two, actually, and the thing is, that we mentioned the cast. The cast is so good, because here we have Captain Barbosa himself, Jeffrey Rush as Tom R.A., and Michael Clark Duncan as Kilowog. So already two great actors. You know, granted, we, we met Michael Clark Duncan in Daredevil. That's not the best film, but Michael Clark Duncan does a decent job in that film. That said, what did, what did you think of these, you know, these two CGI characters? And yeah, how did you feel about Tom R.A. and Kilowog? Uh, well, Michael Clark as Kilowog did a great job. He acted as the one who's trying to push Hal as far as he can go, but trying not to kill him, in a sense. And, uh, who was it? Tom O'Reilly? Yeah, Tom O'Reilly is the, kind of the guide in Hal Jordan's journey through the Green Lantern Corps. I think so too. And he has such a beautiful voice. I, in fact, he's one of those guys that I was so, when, when he starts, when we, the, the film actually opens and we hear Tom R. Ray's voice and he pretty much acts as narrator throughout this film. I was like, oh my, Jeffrey Rush, you have a beautiful, beautiful voice. Whether you are, uh, you know, playing a pirate or whether you're playing an alien, he just is, is, does a fabulous job. And also, I mean, he was also great in, um, what was it, The King's Speech, which is a, which was, was a great film too. But yeah, these are two of the better characters, I feel. I mean, granted, once again, we don't get too much of them because, you know, like you said, they're more mental characters to Hal. And, uh, you know, they kind of we see them on Oa. They do their thing. Tom Ray kind of introduces, explains things to Hal, while also I guess explaining stuff to us, the audience. It's very much a um, narrative vehicle to kind of push the plot along. Kilowog, 
you know, for fans of the comics, this guy is one of the you know most well-known characters within the Green Lantern core outside from our, should we say, regular human Green Lanterns. And I just wish we'd given Kilowog a little bit more to do. Maybe actually have the other, the rest of the core help Hal out when it comes to uh, taking on Parallax, for example, because at the end of the day, it pretty much is Hal against Parallax and there's nobody else. So like, where's the Green Lantern Corps when you need them? I mean, they appear at the end where, you know, Hal is going, is about probably to end up in the sun. But other than that, but before that, it's like, where were you guys? <laughs> yeah, it's almost like they were just watching him take on Parallax by himself, doing nothing. Yeah. It reminded me, you know, of like those old action movies where you call the cops and they arrive at the last minute when, like, mm. the villain has been caught. And, like, now you show up? <laughs> well, someone's got to take him to jail. I guess so. I mean, yeah, it is also very convenient that they do show up when he's about to end up in the sun and they pull him back. I mean, I'm glad they got there eventually and Sinestro has a moment to kind of, you know, show up too, but... As I said, these guys are supposed to be police. And yeah, it really is kind of like, uh, you know, making fun of even the space police as well. Like these guys are just late on the job all the time. They're leaving this rookie to take care of Parallax by himself. No. All right. <laughs> and when it actually came, you know, speaking of the CGI, did you like, uh, did you, were the characters of Tom Array and Kilowog, I mean, I mean, do you think it still holds up? I mean, for Kilowog, I could buy it, but for Tom Array, no. Just the beak it is everything about it. It's just so fake. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess, yeah, some of the, the CGI has not aged particularly well. And when it actually came to, like, the, the Green Lantern powers and that kind of stuff, was that was that cool to you? Did you enjoy that? Oh, yeah. Anything you can put your mind to, you can make it. It's all about willpower. That's kind of interesting. So, like, for example, when we got that scene where um, Hal creates that race car, for example, which, you know, I know has shown up in tons of trailers. And whenever pe people talk about this this film, you often see that scene. Did, did, did that work for you? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's possible because you can have the plane sliding down the track. But why not just make like a giant wall and then a floor? That could have worked as well. But he chose theatrics over uh, probability. Mm, yes, maybe it could have been a little bit more practical. I agree. This yeah. is very true. And which actually makes me think, I mean, I should have mentioned it earlier, but it just brings me this. Also, didn't Hal have like a nephew at one point who we saw like once? And you know, it's like, what? Yeah, there's no point to him. <laughs> and the whole family, it's like. What, what happened to the Jordan family? Everybody, like, disappears. Like, hello, I'm this character. Now you won't see me again for the rest of the film. <laughs> I'm like, really? Really, people? Really? So let's get to the next character that probably would end up becoming the villain had we had a sequel to this film. We have another excellent actor, Mr. Mark Strong as Thal Sinestro, whom we actually discussed on this podcast in Shazam, of course, and Kick-Ass. So, yeah, what did you and what did you make of Sinestro then, um, Ian? Were you familiar with this character? Uh, well, I'm familiar with Mark Strong from, of course, Shazam as the main uh, antagonist. Mm -hmm. But I was expecting Sinestro to turn bad with the fear. 
but I never got to see that, and I'm kind of mad about it. So you would have actually preferred Sinestro as the main villain over, say, Hector Hammond or even Parallax? Yes, because I'm not really sure who even Hector Hammond was the, by the time I watched it. And, and so I'm assuming then you were happy, though, with, with the way uh, Sinestro was portrayed. You, did you like Mark Strong's performance? Yes, he's kind of like the anti-hero. He's willing to do what's right with a price. Mm. Yeah, I, I, th- I think so, too. And I think he's actually one of the better parts of this movie. And I'm right there with you. I would have actually preferred maybe it would have been too, in inverted commas, obvious for the way the writers were thinking this thing, if we make Sinestro the villain, it might almost be like every time you do a Batman movie, you're going to have Joker as the villain. But granted, this was the very first Green Lantern film. So rather than go super crazy and go with Parallax immediately, play it simple, folks. Go with Sinestro because Mark Strong is a br- is brilliant at playing villains. And I and as I said, I think he's one of the better parts of this film. He's a, he's a great um, opposite, almost, if you will, to Hal, because I think where Hal is very much crazy and disorganized and undisciplined, Sinestro is literally discipline incarnate. He's literally what a Green Lantern should be, at least before, you know, we discover uh, by the end of the film, he becomes evil and, you know, fashions a yellow ring for himself. But you really feel the charisma of this character. And I was like, I love this guy. You know, whenever he was in the room, he commanded the room. And yes, maybe he doesn't give Hal the time of day because he's like, I had so much admiration for Abensur and this is his, uh, the guy who's going to replace him because clearly he had a lot of respect and love for, for Abensur and he sees Hal as not being worthy of uh, of, of being his the heir to, to Abensur's uh, ring. But I really enjoyed this character. He was he was fabulous. And, you know, I really think Mark Strong kind of dealt a bad hand because I think he really gave his all in this film. But he was given a really bad script. And I think that's that's at least that's my opinion. What do you think? Yeah, I totally agree. Mark Strong does an absolutely amazing. uh, Great job at being Sinestro. He portrays the evil, but good. The strictness but willing to do it part yeah i mean because even when we see you know when he goes to when they go to talk to the guardians he's one of the only people who will pretty much stand up to these beings and uh, and they, they they he seems actually one of the few guardians they will actually listen to because i guess he's considered like the leader of of the green lantern core and uh, and yeah so i i really felt i was really really felt bad about this character so i was, thought to myself Mark Strong, you're doing a fabulous job. Why did they have to give you such a bad script? And before we actually get to the dark side of the table here, Ian, and look at, look at our villains, speaking of the Guardians, what did you think of the design of the Guardians? Did you like that? No, they uh, they just don't look good enough. They How long are their robes actually? Like They just <laughs> go so far down and they look like they never stop. Then their heads are just too big with their tiny bodies. <laughs> and they're supposed to be the longest living species in the universe, but we never get to learn about their species. This is very true. Uh, yeah, the, the robe thing seemed a little bit weird to me as well. Uh, you know, Because in the comics, they do dress up in, in those kind of night shirts, if you will. But 
they, they're definitely not that extended and that long. I guess the way to maybe give this impression of these beings are like literally otherworldly and have lived for centuries. And so they look super weird, but they looked weirder than they were supposed to look. And I was kind of really upset because I was looking forward to seeing what the guardians of the universe would be like. But eh, I was I, I was right there with you. I was very disappointed with these guys, too. Okay, so let's get to the dark side of the table here. Starting with one of our two villains in this film, we have Peter Sarsgaard as Hector Hammond, whom our listeners might know from films like Jarhead, Orphan, Flight Plan, and many more. So, you know, you mentioned that you weren't familiar with this character going into the film, Ian, but at the end of the day, what did you make of Hector? Did he, did he work for you as a villain? A little. He tried to be the good teacher and once he started working for the government he got that fear in him he let parallax control him and bend him to his will without him even knowing it i think that's a pretty good uh character right there and so so i so i'm assuming you know just like mark strong you liked what peter sarsgaard did with this character yes i i really do yeah, I think he was also one of the better ones. I mean, it was maybe a little bit hammy in places, you know, when he when obviously he, you know, his face changes and he starts to morph into, you know, more of a monster in inverted commas. But yeah, another character, another actor, I think, who did the best with what he was given. And here, I think we actually did have some sort of a character development in the sense we got the concept of this guy in the sense that uh, he was always maybe seen as a freak. Even as a kid, he almost seemed like the weirdo of the group, because when we see Hal, Carol, and Hector as kids, he seems to be the more nerdy of the three. He's kind of got his nose in a book, and he's all about aliens, and they kind of want to go out on the tarmac and see the planes. So he is very much, I guess, that kind of um, nerdy guy who doesn't really have many friends, and I guess maybe Hal and Carol, like the two people who, who are two kids who really he hangs out with, and, you know, we learn, I guess, that then his dad doesn't think too much about him, which Hector then learns because he thinks that, oh, I'm actually, I have a great mind, I'm a great genius, etc. And I'm being called by Argus or whoever it might be and uh, Amanda Waller to dissect an alien. Then he learns, obviously, it was all his father who is connected and got him. Then it's, it destroys the guy because I think he was really starting to get his some self-esteem back. And then, you know, I think then his world just starts crumbling because he sees that, uh, you know, nobody believes him. His dad thinks he's a freak. Every other person, even his, his students think he's weird, which I mean, it's, it's one blow after another for this guy. So I kind of can't blame him for then losing it completely. And then, like you said, he gets infected with the, uh, the yellow energy. And then of course establishes this link with parallax but uh, yeah, he's a, he's a good villain. Uh, it's a shame that he gets corrupted and becomes the way he is. But uh, I, I guess I can see why he's so mad at the world for everything that happens. Because, you know, let's be honest, the guy isn't particularly treated very well. And I, I don't know about you, but he kind of reminded me like there was almost like this relationship of like Parallax was Dracula. And Hector Hammond was like Renfield, his assistant at one point, because he seems like so in awe of Parallax. He's like, oh, you know, this guy's going to make everything all right for me. I'm finally going to get my, um, you know, what I deserve. 
but yeah, at the end of the day, he gets killed by Parallax. And I was like, oh well, I guess that I guess that happens. But uh, but yeah, he's definitely one of the better characters for sure. So let's address the big cloud in the room, Ian. We have Clancy Brown at boy as the voice of Parallax, who had actually voiced Surtur in Thor Ragnarok. So when and so when it came to this big yellow cloud, what did you make of this? I felt like we needed more of a backstory from him in particular. We needed to know how he, what he was thinking whenever he got into the yellow energy. And we need to see the battle between him and the Guardians. Because obviously the yellow energy is more powerful than the Green Lantern energy. If only one Parallax was able to take on all the Guardians... What's to say how many would take on two? Oh, that's a very good point. I do agree with you. And, and you know, speaking of actually him having the kind of final showdown with Hal by himself, no Green Lanterns in sight or anything like that, did you, did you at least enjoy the battle between the two? It was a little underwhelming because it's just a giant floating head shooting out energy through its mouth and then just... Hal Jordan using the ring to blast it back. Yeah, I, I expected a little bit more myself. It did seem like it didn't go. It was actually pretty brief when we actually got to this big climax because you're introducing this you know, huge big bad who, like you were saying, even the Guardians are terrified of and the green, the more accomplished Green Lanterns are struggling to defeat. And it takes one guy Hal Jordan, who's like become a Green Lantern only a couple of days ago, and he's able to do this. I mean, granted, okay, he uses his ingenuity and such to, you know, bring Parallax to the sun, which I guess, okay, I, I suppose that will work. But uh, it, did, it did seem a little bit odd to me. And, uh, and I, I found it underwhelming myself. And Parallax himself, uh, he's one of the, the, the characters that I know a lot of people, especially comic book readers, have so many problems with because he's completely different in the comics. The The design is very weird. It does definitely does not hold up CGI-wise today. We And like you said, we got a little bit of back of backstory on him in that apparently he was a guardian who had been corrupted by the yellow energy. But uh, it's like... I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm here kind of really shaking my head saying, why did you do this? I just, I don't know. <laughs> it, it really, it really just sort of, it, it really kills me. And yeah, speaking actually of the CGI, I assume you weren't won over by, by the Parallax CGI either. Not at all. It's just, it looks like it was made in a game development software, like Unity, for example. <laughs> okay yes i definitely can see that and yeah so th and that's pretty much the, the the film because the parallax gets defeated everybody shouts hooray uh how gets you know gets the girl and then we get that little moment of um of obviously the the lanterns kind of reuniting with everybody and then we get that post credit scene of uh, sinestro putting on the ring his eyes turning yellow and that's that and granted this was a pretty bad film, Ian. Would you like to someday see a sequel to this where we actually do pick up from where we left off? Or do you think we should have a complete reboot and start over with, if it comes to, if we ever get another Green Lantern film? It needs a, a redo because I doubt that 
Ryan Reynolds would go back and do it. Even with new CGI technology, he wouldn't do it. Mm. I think so, too. I mean, granted, we should be getting on HBO a TV show for Green Lantern, and hopefully that will be better. Granted, I believe we're not actually going to be getting, I don't think we're getting Hal Jordan in that one. I think we're getting Guy Gardner. So that would be, be interesting to see. I'm very curious because I'm hoping this TV show will bring faith back into this franchise and this, this character because if done right, it can be really, really good. So crossing fingers for, for the TV show indeed. So let's get to ratings then, Ian. This should be curious. What do you give this film out of 10? About a three out of 10. <laughs> okay, so I, I guess you're not going to be rewatching this anytime soon. I rewatch it only for to laugh because the animation is just so terrible. <laughs> yeah, I, I I agree. Actually, I believe I saw this. I saw the Blu-ray. I think somewhere at a bargain bin for like two euros, and I was like. Okay, I mean, I guess, you know, what I, 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 I guess I could do worse with two euros, but I'll pick it up. So now I actually own a copy of Green Lantern on Blu-ray. It was in the bargain bin. I'm like, okay, I'll pick it up. I'm actually going to be a little bit more generous than you. I mean, I'm going to give this a five and a half out of ten. It doesn't get a passing grade, even though, you know, as we mentioned, it does have some high points. Mark Strong's performance as Sinestro, uh, Peter Sarsgaard as Hector Hammond. But yeah, I I regretfully say this film is not worth saving. So I'm not going to even give it a passing grade. It might be like you said, if you it's one of those evenings where you need to pick me up and you just need to chuckle and laugh. Pop the, you can pop this film on and you and you could definitely I think uh, enjoy it in that sense. If you're looking for an epic superhero film in space, Definitely do not watch this. Watch the two Guardians of the Galaxy films. Those are good. This, yeah. <laughs> this not so much. <laughs> so, uh, Ian, did you have any any closing thoughts on this film before we get to uh, recommendations? In the beginning, whenever it has Abin speaking, it looks like it's from a TV show. Like the mouth does not sync up with the voice at all. This is this is very true, very true. I, I, I mean, I said that this film is just riddled with problems. But on to more positive things, folks. If you do want to um, enlarge your knowledge of the Green Lantern when it comes to printed page, I can suggest uh, two comics in particular. First off, I think the best place to start is back in 1959 with DC's Showcase Issue 22. This is literally the comic that started it all. It was a little experiment which was written by John Broom and was illustrated in classic artwork by Gil Kane, enticing readers with this iconic cover depicting Hal Jordan as Green Lantern battling a yellow missile bound for the destruction of Coast City. And this comic covers three short stories. It documents Hal Jordan inheriting the emerald power ring from the dying Abin Sur, learning of his new powers, the weaknesses against the color yellow, and battling a mad scientist with destructive goals. And obviously it would be some time before the origin of Hal's ring and the reality of the Greenlander Corps were revealed. But for that, if you want a more modern retelling of this story, check out Secret Origin from 2008. This is definitely the definitive Hal Jordan story. It's a six-issue uh, miniseries that depicts 
the rebirth of uh, the Green Lantern of Earth. It reintroduces characters like Carol Ferris, Thomas Kalmaku, Hector Hammond, Sinestro, and the Guardians of the Universe. And uh, the artwork is, is, is stunning. It's uh, by Ivan Rice. His beautiful and clear lines make every page fun and easy to look at. So that's um, showcased in issue 22 and Secret Origin from 2008. Uh, did you have anything you would like to recommend, Ian, be it comic book or otherwise for folks who, uh, you know, in, maybe possibly enjoyed this film or want to find out more about superheroes? Uh, sadly, no. I don't really, I haven't really read any of the Green Lantern comics, sadly, mm. but I might check those out. I strongly suggest you do. I mean, if, if uh, the concept seems interesting, you know, don't be uh, dissuaded by this terrible movie because the comics can actually be really, really good. And uh, I think definitely offer hours and hours of enjoyment. So of course, dear listeners, if you want to be like the wonderful Ian and join us here on the show to discuss a movie of your choice, feel free to shoot us an email at happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. We appreciate your thoughts and feedback about the show. You can also hit us up with those at happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. Feel free to show your support by giving us a like on Facebook, where you'll find us as Happiness in Darkness. Follow us on, on Twitter, where you can find us as High Darkness Pod. Also, if you would like to support the podcast, feeling generous, you can check out the great tiers we have going on on Patreon. They will be able to pick films to go outside of what is considered regular superhero movies or films inspired by comics like 300 or Road to Perdition or I Kill Giants or even films which inspired comics such as the Aliens franchise, Robocop, Terminator and more. To check all that out, head on over to patreon.com slash happiness in darkness. And Ian, when it comes to you, when you're not here with me discussing terrible space superhero movies, where can folks find you? Well, they can find me on Instagram under iantakis0503. Perfect. So, folks, definitely be sure to follow Ian and the wonderful things that he does. And, of course, uh, when it comes to me, for you country music lovers, I do host the radio show Whiskey and Cigarettes, where we play today's country, traditional country, and everything else in between. For more info about that and where to tune in, visit our website, whiskeyandcigarettesshow.com. Podcast-wise, feel free to check out our other project, Gold Standard, the Oscars movie podcast, where with co-hosts Zan Sprouse and Rachel Friend, we're reviewing all the movies that won the Oscar for Best Picture from 1927's Wings to the present day. Also, if a superhero TV shows are your speed, I can be found with the wonderful Charles Skaggs on the Fandom Zone. We recently uh, wrapped up uh, discussing Loki on there. We'll soon be going, coming back there to discuss uh, Hawkeye. In the meantime, we can be found on Titan Talk, the Titans podcast, where we wrapped up the latest season of Titans and are finishing up the latest season of Doom Patrol. And speaking things to come on this show, Next time, we'll be taking on the 1982 Wes Craven film, Swamp Thing. That said, when it comes to you, Ian, I want to, of course, thank you so much for your time. It was wonderful to have you back and uh, definitely look forward to having you back very soon. Thanks for having me. Well, the pleasure was certainly ours. Well, folks, thanks as always for listening to the show and supporting us. We will see you next time with Swamp Thing. Until then, stay super. Ciao, my people.